0: Today on Shtetl on the Shortwave, we're going to be talking with Matt Stotland of the Yellow Bird Project and finding out how indie rock stars are saving the world. And also we're going to find out from Professor A.J. Levine why she believes Jewish people should be taking the Christian Bible more seriously. If you want to listen to this or past episodes of Shtetl on the Shortwave, you can go to iTunes or download it from the ShtetlMontreal.com website. Stay tuned. The song you're listening to right now is Generator First Floor by a band called Freelance Whales. And they're one of the bands that have contributed to the Yellow Bird project. We're going to hear from Matt Stotland today about how he found a connection between indie pop music and saving the world and contributing to great causes. And on the second half of the show, we're going to talk with Professor A.J. Levine. She believes that it's important for Jewish people to get to know the big book of Jesus. What's it all about? Why does she think that? So stay tuned to find out more. Matt has uh, suggested a whole list of music for today's show, and I really appreciate it because there's some really beautiful songs that he suggested. And the first one that we're going to listen to is by a musician that I love Devendra Banhart, and it's pretty unexpected. I wouldn't have expected him to have recorded a song like this. He's one of the first musicians to have contributed to the Yellow Bird Project. And after you take a listen to this song, we're going to talk on the phone with Matt Scotland.
1: Our story begins on a Sunday afternoon, just between Halfway Tree and Spanish Town, where a young boy, not yet the cock of the walk he would soon become, lying on the grass and taking in the sweet and sensuous scent of hibiscus that languidly lifted along the summer breeze it was at this precise moment that he saw her her walk was soft and delicate with a thaumaturgical touch that only a rabbi's daughter could have before their eyes had even met her luminous lips had already lured him in salvation winked with the promise of a bris held at pinnacle in a congregation of sages bunny hopping and chicken dancing to Yiddish minto then their eyes linked an eon blinked, americ vowels were scried upon their hearts, just to think, this could all be with a phrenectomy and a few words of love.
2: My shabab shalom. of truth. She wants to know wrote the Dead Sea Scroll.
0: back on Shtetl on the shortwave and that was Shabab Shalom by Devendra Benhart and a perfect a perfect song for Friday definitely and we've got Matt Stotlin on the phone with us in Vermont. Matt you there?
1: Yeah I'm here how's it going?
0: It's going great how's it going with you? Pretty good. Okay cool that was a great track and Devendra Benhart is not Jewish why do you think he was recording a song Shabap Shalom?
1: Well, to be honest, I really don't know. My initial guess was that at some point during his career, he was dating Natalie Portman, who is Jewish, and I guess she is from Israel. So, And I think while they were dating, they spent some time in Tel Aviv. So I think my guess would be something to do with that.
0: Okay. He went out with Natalie Portman? Oh, my goodness. Lucky guy. <laughs> so do you want to tell people about the Yellow Bird Project? What exactly does it entail?
1: Sure. So, at its core, the Yellowbird project entails us getting in touch with, I guess, what you could call our favorite musicians, our favorite bands, indie rock musicians, and approaching them with an offer where, whereby they design a t shirt and we go and sell that t shirt through our website and our, our platform, and the profits that that t shirt makes will be donated to a charity that the band will choose. So, at its core, and and that's how Yellowbird was founded. That was sort of our mission statement. We wanted to work with our favorite bands, musicians that we respected and loved, and we wanted um, to help them raise money for causes that were important to them.
0: Okay. And how did you get the idea to do this?
1: We get asked this question like a fair bit, and we we don't have a great answer for it. But sort of the backstory is my partner Casey and I. We love going to concerts. We love music. Uh, when we'd go to concert, we'd often buy band t shirts. Um, and we sort of were brainstorming, you know, what, what could we do when we're done university? What sort of cool project could we take on? And uh, this idea sort of took shape. And uh, once it took shape, sort of just made sense to us. Everyth- we liked every aspect about it. We liked the aspect that we got to work with the bands. We liked the aspect that we'd be helping a variety of different charities and um, that we'd end up with a really cool T-shirt that we ourselves would for sure wear.
0: Who was the first musician? Was it Devendra Banhart?
1: Yeah, so funny enough, Devendra was was the first musician, and uh, you know, we credit him for helping us really get the project off the ground. Because once we had him involved, it was easier to convince other artists to get involved. How
0: did you get him involved?
1: Um, we sort of just you know blind blind emailed him, and uh, and that was it. You know, which is pretty impressive actually on his part. He just you know responded to a, an email from uh, two random guys who he's never met with a with an idea and. Uh, He was just totally willing to participate. And since then, you know, we've emailed lots of other bands. And even now that we have, you know, maybe 50 bands involved, it's still tough for us to to sign on new artists and get them to participate. So it's even more impressive that he was willing to do it as the first artist.
0: And so since since you had signed him on to do it, who have been some of the bands that you were like, oh, my God, I can't believe they're going to do it. Who have you been really excited about? I'm sure you're excited about all of them, but who are some...
1: Almost like all of them, because I pretty much love the music of every single band that we have on. Um, I mean, one one of our biggest bands is probably Bon Iver. Mm-hmm. Um, we had him maybe, I think we've had his t-shirt for about three years now, or maybe two and a half years. And, you know, since, since we got his t-shirt, he's just sort of blown up. So it's been pretty cool that, you know, we had him before he was this huge mega star. Mm-hmm. Um But yeah, I love all the music of all the bands, new pornographers, stars. This is a bunch of Canadian bands that are
0: great. Is it? Would you say that um, most of the T-shirts are sold here in because it's based in Montreal, right? The Yellow Bird Project.
1: Well, you know that's a, that's a good question because we're sort of we don't actually have an office per se.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So we're sort of a, a virtual organization because my partner Casey, who is from Montreal as well, lives in uh, the UK, lives in London. Um, I live in Montreal. You know, Yellow Bird was sort of conceived in Montreal, so we call ourselves a Montreal organization. But that being said, the, the majority of our customers are American,
3: okay. I guess just
1: based on demographics. And, you know, there's a lot more Americans than there are Canadians. Um, so our T-shirts are actually warehoused in plattsburgh new york because it made the most sense economically to ship them from the u.s
0: so how many t-shirts have you sold since you started the project
1: (laughs) that's a good question also i don't know if i know the exact number Uh, i've been quite a bit i mean in the tens of thousands wow maybe more so yeah
0: and we're doing a giveaway of the indie rock coloring book how did that get started what is it and how did you how did you come up with that idea
1: yeah so a couple of the ideas that we've come up with have sort of just been from random people sort of the same way we got started by just emailing Devendra um, we had this guy Andy Miller email us saying hey can uh, can I can I do a t-shirt for you guys we said no you know only bands could do t-shirts but we sort of looked into him and Andy had for his college thesis been working on uh, creating coloring book pages uh, based off his favorite indie rock artist. So we sort of said, you know, hey, Andy, can you do some, uh, some coloring pages based off the, the, the artists that are involved in Yellowbird?
3: Mm-hmm. So
1: he did that, and maybe we did 30 pages, and we sort of said to ourselves, wow, this is amazing. You know, like, I think this, this would really have broad appeal. But we didn't know what to do with it. We were sort of just thinking of making it available as a PDF for a download on our website. And um, we showed it to one of our friends in los angeles and she said oh wow this is awesome uh, and then it sort of just spiraled from there she put us in touch with this publisher at a san francisco chronicle books who loved uh, loved the idea loved the concept and because of them you know working together it became i guess like, a, like uh, you could call it a commercial success
0: the coloring book is amazing and if people want to uh, win a copy of the coloring book i'm doing a draw for it and they can email me info at com and just put in the subject heading Yellowbird project. It's really fun. It brings out the child and any, any lover of indie rock music. Um, and I wanted to take a little break, but ask you first, I'm going to play a song by Laura Vers. And I had never heard of her before you sent me this, uh, this track. And I had never heard of a bunch of the musicians on the Yellow Bird Project website, which is one of the really fun things about going there. You can really learn a lot about what's happening in the music scene and, uh, and about the musicians' personal stories. Can you tell us something a little bit about her, Laura Veres?
1: Well, the comment you made actually that was really good. I mean, one of the, one of the mandates when we when we started out this project was we wanted to bring awareness to our favorite artists who didn't necessarily maybe have the most commercial success, but that were just really amazing musicians and artists. So, so by you discovering, you know, one or two artists of our website, we're sort of doing exactly what we want, what we set out to do. We wanted to to bring great music to the public and to share the music that we discovered that we thought was amazing
0: there's so much out there that sometimes it's hard to like know where to get started uh, exactly. it's,
1: it's too much out there
0: <laughs> yeah exactly so, so you've yeah. given us a really nice and there's a, also there's a bunch of um, great Canadian bands on there and Montreal bands as well which is cool too
1: yeah, we have a little tab on, the, on, the, on, the, on our website called Canadian Indie Rock eh?
0: A. <laughs> <And>, uh... <laughs> very nice. So we're going to take a little break, and we're going to play this very lovely song, Mama, You've Been On My Mind, by Laura Veres, and then we'll be back with Matt Stotland of The Yellow Bird Project. Take a listen.
4: <laughs> Perhaps it's the color of a sun-cut fly and hovering The crossroads I'm standing at Or maybe it's the weather Or something like that But mama, you've been on my mind I don't mean trouble Please don't put me down Or get upset I am not pleading Nor saying I can't forget you I do not pace the floor, bow down and bend, but yeah Mama, you've been on my mind Even though my eyes are hazy and my thoughts, they might be narrow Where you've been, don't bother me Nor bring me down with sorrow I don't even mind who you be waking with tomorrow But mama, you've been on my mind I'm not asking you to say words like yes or no Please understand me I have no place I'm calling you to go Just whispering to myself so I can pretend that I don't know Mama, you've been on my mind
2: as clear as someone's got you on his mind er hört sagt sie stettel auf ein shortwave auf ckut
4: 90.3 fm in montreal
0: We're back on Shtetl on the shortwave with Matt Stotland of the Yellow Bird Project. And you can find out more about the project by going to the website yellowbirdproject.com. And Matt, I'm curious, like, can you give us an idea of what some of the charities are that people will be supporting when they buy the T-shirts?
1: Sure. So well, the interesting thing is, you know, we have about 50 musicians who have participated. So that means there's really 50 different charities. So there's a there's literally the full spectrum of, of charities you can imagine, um, anything from you know environmental causes, political causes, um, homelessness, poverty, environmental issues. So it really yeah it runs the whole gamut. If if you're you know interested in specifically uh, supporting a cause by purchasing a t-shirt. If you just go to our website, on each of the band pages you could read, we have a little section called About the Cause, and it explains about the charity and maybe why that band chose that charity and why it's personal to them.
0: Just out of curiosity, what do you think when you hear people saying that young people today of this generation are not prone to giving charity? They're not into supporting causes so much. How, do you, how would you respond to that?
1: Uh, I guess I haven't necessarily seen that firsthand, and I guess, I would disagree with that only because I sort of see how much uh, support we get from the youth uh, for our project. You know, they're the primary demographic who buys our T-shirts. And so right there, they're uh, directly contributing to charity. Uh, I think I think there's a lot more options now to donate to charity than there maybe was in the past with all these sort of social corporations coming up, mm-hmm. you know, like Tom's Shoes and companies like that where you could get something in return for your donation. That's really cool, but also at the same time be helping out. So I think that's sort of a trend we're going to see.
0: Okay. Getting something back for giving the donation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean,
1: you know, you always got a touch <laughs> but here you're getting something different. Yeah. You know? You're
0: getting a, a cool t-shirt. Yeah. Okay. You don't have to answer this. And I mean, I'll, I'm just going to put it out there. You grew up in the Montreal Jewish community, right? Mm-hmm. Um, have you ever heard people in the community talking about how, worried they are that young Jewish people aren't donating to Jewish causes or to the Jewish community here? What, like, have you heard people saying that? And how do you, how do you react when you hear that?
1: Um, yeah, I guess I haven't really directly heard people saying that. I know it's important. I know it's something that the Jewish community feels it's important to, you know, keep donations within the community. And I guess, yeah, I mean, it's an interesting question. I, you know, you could sort of see both sides that at one point. At some point, you want to keep it local and, you know, support your direct community. But at the same time, um, there's a whole world out there that you could support also with with lots of important causes. So I think, you know, like as a society becomes more open and I think there's just a lot more opportunities for people to give and it might be harder for, for money to stay in the local community. That's a good question.
0: Hmm. Maybe there's an indie musician from Montreal who <laughs> who wants their their the money from their t shirt to go to the uh, I don't know the Jewish Community Foundation or the Federation or do, is, yeah, do you think that, that would, would ever?
1: All... We certainly wouldn't say no. I mean we haven't we haven't had that happen yet, but that would certainly be something.
0: Huh. It'd be cool. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, we're going to move away from that subject for now. <laughs> uh, so, what's the most popular t shirt?
1: And, well, the most popular t-shirt is the one I was talking about before—the Bonnie Bear t-shirt. Okay. Uh, just as as he grew as a musician and people started discovering his music, I think he has a real, really loyal fan base. He's from Eau Claire, Wisconsin, and I've actually noticed we've got like tons and tons of sales from people in his hometowns. So I think he just has a, a really good following. He's an awesome musician. His t-shirt's really nice. I think a combination of everything just made it this smash hit.
0: And are there any bands on your wish list, like any people that you're thinking of approaching in the near future that you want to get to to make T-shirts?
1: Yes. I mean, we've got lots of bands on our wish list. Um, um, And a lot of those bands we have contacted, and for whatever reason, you know, either they say no or they say they're busy, contact us again. The thing with bands is what we found is they're notoriously always um, busy doing something, touring. And, you know, when you're touring and you're playing concerts every night, you don't have a lot of time to come up with this stuff, plus you got pressure from your record label to record a new CD. These bands are really busy, so um, once you get their attention, they're they're always very receptive. But it does take longer than we'd like from the time we usually talk to the band to receiving the design in hand.
0: Okay, is this your full time gig running this project?
1: It's um, so not my full time gig. I do a, I do some other uh, jobs on the side. But to answer that question, it's this, it's. Uh, the thing that I do that I'm the most passionate about and that I derive the most pleasure from Nice. and that's it's easiest for me to you know, work lots and lots of hours on without feeling like I'm working
0: okay so Matt Stotland of the Yellow Bird Project thank you so much for coming on to Staddle on the Short Wave and sure. thank you for the giveaway for giving away the uh, free Indie Rock coloring book that's very kind and I think somebody's going to really appreciate that <laughs> for sure So uh, take care, and we'll hopefully talk again soon. And uh, I look forward to going through the site even more and finding my favorite bands and maybe getting a T-shirt. I think they're really beautiful designs, so people should should go to yellowbirdproject.com.
1: Awesome. Thank you so much for doing this.
0: No problem. Take care. Bye, Matt. Wow, what a sweet, sweet guy. I'm going to play one more song from from the Yellow Bird Project. Maybe I'll play another one later, but I just thought that this one would be great to get us going on the second half of the show, which is all about the Bible and uh, what the Bible can mean to us. And in this song, I think the person is talking about history books. The song is called History Book and about how heavy these things can be, but how we still somehow carry them around with us. We're going to be talking about not the the Bible that that many Jewish people um, struggle with and, and have conflicting feelings with or love, or uh, we're going to be talking about the Christian Bible. Uh, I think that the Jewish relationship to the Christian Bible has been less complicated in a sense. It's either, well, you can read it as literature or you can not read it at all or you can be really threatened or, or disturbed by it and and feel like it's been really bad for the Jewish people. And we're going to be talking with one professor, a biblical scholar, about her take on that. So this next song is called History Book, and it's lovely. Take a listen.
2: As heavy as a history book can be, I will carry it with me all along. And maybe when the bitterness has gone, there'll be sweetness on our tongues once more. sweetness sings in the posture. We throw ourselves on the mercy of the earth. If sand and salt have the answer, then the act itself will be louder than the word. And I'll be on your side, and I'll be on your side.
0: All right, we're back on Shtetl on the shortwave, and we're going to be spending the second half of the show hearing from A.J. Levine. She's the professor at Vanderbilt University in New Testament studies and in Jewish studies. She's the author of The Misunderstood Jew, The Church and the Scandal of the Jewish Jesus, and more recently of the editor of a compilation called The Jewish Annotated New Testament, and it's described as an unusual scholarly experiment, an edition of the Christian holy book edited entirely by Jews. So if you're curious, uh, you can check that out, The Jewish Annotated New Testament. And people can be quite skeptical, um, Jewish people in particular, uh, of the Christian Bible and a little bit uh, threatened sometimes. And I wanted to ask Professor A.J. Levine why she felt that it was important for us to explore the book. Why might it be meaningful for a Jew to get acquainted with the New Testament? Uh,
3: there are several reasons why Jews might be interested in this text. First of all, it is substantially Jewish history, and it's Jewish history with which most Jews are unfamiliar. Jesus was Jewish Paul was Jewish, it's likely that several of the gospel writers like Matthew and John were Jewish. So if we Jews want to know more about our own history, then the New Testament is one of the resources that provides it. A second reason is that the New Testament has been a source uh, that has led to quite a difficult amount of anti-Jewish prejudice over the centuries. For example, in the Gospel of Matthew, where Matthew says, all the people say his blood be on us and our On our children led to this idea of of Jews as being Christ killers, and the idea of Jews as responsible for the death of Jesus is repeated elsewhere in the New Testament. If we want to know the source of some of this difficult material, then we need to know the New Testament. And the reason the Jewish annotated New Testament is helpful here is that the annotations can explain how some of those verses came to be written, how they were understood by their first authors, and how Christians in general understand them today. And finally, the New Testament is also a major source for much of, of art and literature and culture. Um, ignorance never helps anybody. The more we understand about the dominant Christian culture around us, which includes understanding the New Testament, the better informed people in general we become. For a number of Christian readers, Jesus and Paul are seen to come over against Judaism rather than to be part of it. Um, he's seen as the only Jew in, in, at the time who, you know, cared about women, was interested in social justice, showed a concern for the poor. Um, he becomes detached from his Jewish context. What we're able to show in this book is how his various views on questions of justice and compassion fit directly with within his own
0: Jewish tradition. What messages was Jesus trying to convey to his Jewish followers?
3: I think he's very interested in finding the heart of Torah. But Jesus is doing this in in a very, um, a very striking way. Um, And in some cases, His view of how the law should be interpreted would conflict with other Jews' views of how the law should be interpreted. That's not a problem. Jews have been arguing about how to understand Torah since Moses came down the mountain. So Jesus Jesus takes his place among other Jewish teachers and reformers and prophets and seers and other Jews just trying to figure out what we're supposed to do, how we're supposed to follow Torah, and how we go about living the good life.
0: So if Jesus's interpretation of what it means to be a Jew is just one of many possible interpretations, why is it so threatening to think of Christianity as just another evolution of Jewish tradition or to be so threatened by Jews for Jesus? Why why is it wrong to consider uh, the teachings of the Christian tradition as Jewish teachings for Jewish people?
3: Um I I um, I don't think that any other idea, whether it's uh, the cr- Christian ideas or Muslim ideas or Buddhist ideas, um, should, should be threatening to somebody who's secure in one's own tradition. And gosh knows, we might actually learn something by looking at somebody else's tradition, because in my own view, I don't think that any one particular tradition has a complete lock on uh, theological understanding or ethics or morality. I think the problem here is not that it's so much threatening. I think the problem is that people are simply ignorant of it. If one finds in the in the New Testament uh, teachings that, that are already echoed by Jewish tradition, then there's no reason for Jews to say, oh, gosh, I think I want to go out and get baptized. Um, we have that morality. We have that those ethical concerns in our own tradition. Ultimately, it's not... I don't think Uh, an academic argument or doing history or doing literary studies that moves one out of one religious tradition into another. Um, Believing in a religious sense is is somewhat like love. Uh, It can't be controlled. It can't be compelled. And if it hits you, it's there, and there's nothing anybody can do to talk you out of it in the same way there's nothing anybody can do to talk you
0: into it. It just makes sense that that some Jews would think that Christianity is just—it's like conservative or reform. It's just another another way of practicing Judaism, and and maybe it is, and maybe it isn't.
3: Um, I don't see Christianity today today as another way of practicing Judaism. But neither Judaism nor Christianity have stayed the same over the past 2,000 years. Um, in the first century, Jesus was a practicing Jew who, who spoke to fellow Jews, and he had to make sufficient amount of sense within a Jewish context to get other Jews to follow him. Um, but the New Testament is, is the record not only of what Jesus said, but it's also the record of how the Christian mission spread from its very Jewish, base out to the broader Gentile world. Um, And Christianity today and Judaism today have gone in very different directions. Judaism followed the rabbinic path. At the time of Jesus, there were multiple paths to follow. What Josephus was doing, what the Dead Sea Scrolls attest, what books like First Enoch attest, and other books that never made the the cut into anybody's canon, Uh, what Philo was suggesting. Judaism decides this is what constitutes Judaism, and that comes through the rabbinic lens. And the Church decides this is what constitutes Christianity, and that comes through the canonization of the New Testament, and then the early Church Fathers. What made sense within a first-century Jewish context made no sense within a fifth-century Jewish context. So I'm not interested today in Blurring the boundaries between the synagogue today and the church today. I don't think one should sacrifice the particulars of one's own tradition on the altar of interfaith sensitivity. But I do recognize that Jews and Christians have a common root. We've just moved in different directions. So we recognize our common history, and we also recognize today the very strong differences between Judaism, as most Jews would understand it, and Christianity, as most, as most Christians would understand it.
0: Okay. And why has it been so important for you personally to work on Jewish-Christian relations?
3: Um, I grew up in New England in a predominantly Portuguese Catholic neighborhood, and my introduction to Christianity was was ethnic Roman Catholicism, which meant I remember the Latin Mass, I remember um, parades of, of, of statues through the streets, my friends saying the Rosary at night, and, and and I thought Christianity from from the outside was really you know just a lovely tradition, and I thought, thought of it. Kind of like the synagogue we didn't go to, because as best I, as I understood it, um, Jews and Christians worship the same God—the God who was revealed in in the Book of Genesis. We we prayed the Psalms, um, so we had similar prayers. Um, uh, we had certain books that we considered to be sacred in common and my parents had explained to me that Christians thought that a man named Jesus who was Jewish was very important so somehow they seemed sort of in the family it was just it just wasn't our show it wasn't our synagogue um, and then uh, when I was seven years old a little girl said to me you killed our Lord and and I could not fathom how this tradition that had you know beautiful songs and lovely rituals and worshiped the same god and prayed the same psalms was saying horrible things about Jews. So I started asking questions then. I was seven then, and I'm 55 now, so clearly I've been (laughs) at it for a long time. And I find, in studying early Christianity, I actually find that it makes me a better Jew, uh, because I can recover more of my own history. Um, If the New Testament says something um, that seems unfamiliar to me, I'm likely to go to Jewish sources to find out, oh, what did the rabbis say about that? What else were Jews? you was saying about that topic in the first century. Um, and I think one becomes a, a better member of one's own tradition if one understands the other options that that tradition could have followed. So I know what was gained, and I also know what was lost.
0: So that was Professor A.J. Levine talking about her perspective on the New Testament. And uh, she describes herself as a Yankee Jewish feminist who teaches in a predominantly Christian divinity school in the buckle of the Bible belt. And uh, we're going to hear a little bit more about her experience at Vanderbilt teaching uh, the New Testament. But we're going to take a break and listen to, of course, They Ain't Making Jews Like Jesus Anymore, Kinky Friedman. a a very multi-talented man he ran for governor of texas and he's actually going to be coming to montreal uh in a couple of months take a listen and we'll be back on steddle on the shortwave and if you happen to want to check out a very hysterical article while you're listening to this song go to com and check out jesus moses and mohammed walk into a one-hour photo and moses has a rifle on his shoulder that's the title and it's by montrealer jared tanney
5: well, a redneck nerd in a bowling shirt was a guzzling Lone Star beer, talking religion and a politics for all the world to hear. They ought to send you back to Russia, boy, or New York City, one. You just want to doodle a Christian girl and you kill God's only son. I said, has it occurred to you, you nerd, that that's not very nice? Would you believe it was Santa Claus that killed Jesus Christ. You know you don't look Jewish, he said Near as I could figure I had you lamp for a slightly anemic, well-dressed country nigger No way to making Jews like Jesus anymore They don't turn the other cheek the way they've done before He started into shouting and into spitting on the floor Lord He says, I ain't a racist, but Aristotle Onassis is one Greek we don't need. them niggers, Jews, and Sigma News, all there to do is breed. Cattle and, and mix and slopes and spicks and spooks are on my list. And there's one little hebe from the heart of Texas. Is there anyone I miss? Well, I hits him with everything I had right square between the eyes. I says, I'm going to get you, you, son of a bitch. It's about that pack of lies. If there's one thing I can't abide, it's an ethnocentric racist. Now you take back that thing you said about Aristotle O'Neces. And all it'll ain't making Jews like Jesus anymore. We don't turn the other cheek the way we've done before. You can hear that honky holler. That heart was for oh, this show ain't making Jews like Jesus did the more
0: all right. <laughs> <laughs> making Jews like Jesus anymore. That was Kinky Friedman and the Texas Jew Boys. He's uh, very funny and he writes mystery detective novels as well as having run for governor of Texas as well as having a utopian farm in Texas where he saves animals. Um, He's quite an interesting character and he's been on Stetel in the past and hopefully he'll be back on again. Um, In this next clip, Professor A.J. Levine talks about, well, first of all, what it's like... um, living in in the South and and being proselytized to sometimes. But also, she starts by telling us what exactly we have to gain. What do we have in common with Christians?
3: Um, We have enormous amounts of of history in common. Um, If we look at some of the Christian narratives, we can actually better understand the way Judaism came to comport itself, for example. In the first century, um, a number of Jews were very much concerned about things like heaven and hell um, and and the afterlife and what was needed in, in, in order to ensure one's spot in heaven, whether there should be resurre- whether there was going to be resurrection of the dead or immortality of the soul or whether one simply lived on through one's family and through one's reputation. It turns out that the more the church stressed the idea of heaven and hell and salvation in the name of Jesus the more the synagogue said, you know what, we're not going to concentrate on that so much. We're going to concentrate on sanctification in this world. We're going to concentrate on how best to follow Torah. And we'll just have a general view that, yes, there is a resurrection of the dead. Our concern should not be... be focused on that afterlife. Our concern should be focused on the world right here as it is. So we can understand part of how Judaism takes shape by understanding how Christianity takes shape. It's a dialogue.
0: Do you think that was a loss for Judaism, uh, taking the emphasis off of the afterlife?
3: For me personally, no. No. But I suspect some Jews might be a little more concerned about it. Um, As the reform movement um, in Judaism became less and less interested in things like life after death, I think some Jews um, found that to be problematic, and and we really did want to know, well, what do our sources say about what happens to us when we die?
0: If you could go back in time and ask Jesus a few questions, what would you like to know?
3: Uh, Well, the first thing I'd want to know as a biblical scholar is whether he could speak Greek or not, um, because the New Testament is written in Greek, and uh, one of the the major scholarly concerns we have is to try to figure out what Jesus might have been saying since we're getting his work, we think, in translation. Um, Jesus likely spoke Aramaic as a first language. Um, I'd want to know what he thought about women. Um, he is on occasion rude to his mother. We can see that in John chapter 2. Um, he appoints no women to be among the 12 apostles. There aren't any women um, with him at the Last Supper, as far as we know. So I'm curious as to what his, his sense of women is. I'm curious as to his view of gender and sexuality, because he seems to be pulling families apart. Um, he seems to be proclaiming a, a, a way of being celibate, and celibacy. Had a, had a bit of a run in the first century in Judaism. But here's one of those issues where we see church and synagogue split. The more the church talked about the importance of virginity and celibacy, the more the synagogue said, get married, make babies.
0: So in earlier oh. Judaism, there actually was an element that was accepting of celibacy?
3: Very much so. Very much so. And we can see it suggested in the Dead Sea Scrolls. We can see it suggested by Philo of Alexandria. We see it from uh, Paul of Tarsus, and Paul, again, is yet another Jew. So celibacy was a viable option in the first century, but it it gets foreclosed.
0: Hmm. Interesting. Anything else you'd want to ask him?
3: (laughs) (laughs) uh, I'd like to know what he thought about the Roman Empire.
4: Uh-huh.
0: because he
3: doesn't say very much about it. So I'd like to know, did he consider himself to be some sort of, of zealot or rebel or freedom fighter? I don't think that's the case at all, but I'd like that that to be confirmed. Um, I'd like to know what, what his own self-conception was. What did he actually think he was trying to do? Did he think he was bringing about the Messianic Age? Did he think his death would be instrumental in bringing about a messianic age or bringing about a sense of justice, we already know from other Jewish sources of the period um, that martyrs were considered to be particularly holy and and might have had a sense of, of efficacy. The martyr might have better direct connection to um, accomplishing divine will. We had that in books like Second Maccabees and Fourth Maccabees, books that the Church preserved. But the synagogue did not. So did he think that he was dying to save his people in some way, as other Jewish martyrs thought they were doing?
0: Hmm. Going back to the personal, living in the Bible Belt, do you ever encounter people who try and convert you to Christianity, and how do you deal with that?
3: Um, I, I frequently find people who are trying to convert me including some of my students um, <laughs> you know I'm more than happy by the way if they want to pray for me it keeps them out of trouble and it might help um, <laughs> it, but basically what I tell them is um, uh, my heart is completely fulfilled in my own judaism there's there's no there's no hole there that that Jesus needs to step in and fill um, So I think that gives them some comfort. If they want to pursue the issue, then I will tell them that, as far as I am concerned as a Jew, that my idea of the Messianic Age is that the Messiah and the Messianic Age come together. When the Messiah comes, um, there will be peace on earth. There will be a general resurrection of the dead. There will be a final judgment. There will be a full ingathering of the exiles. There will be peace in the Middle East, and I can find a decent parking place at Vanderbilt. In other words, the world would be as, as really we all hope it would be. Well, if Jesus is the Messiah, then he did not bring about the Messianic Age. That's why the Church has to talk about the Second Coming. How one greets um, evangelists, I think you do it with respect. You recognize that they're not trying to convert us because they hate us, to the contrary. They're trying to convert us because they love us. And because they're making these overtures out of love, I think we respond in, in in as respectful a manner as possible.
0: Recently, there's been a lot of talk about the Mormons converting people who've died in the Holocaust or uh, to to Christianity. How do you feel about that?
3: I think here there's a problem in trying to understand how other religious groups function. Um, uh, for members of the Mormon Church who are doing this, uh, their view is that they're do- again they're doing this out of love. They are concerned about their Jewish brothers and sisters, and and they, they want to do what's best for us as they understand it. From the Jewish perspective, this, this is a cooptation at best. Of who we are and, and post mortem baptism for somebody who dies for Kiddush Hashem, for somebody who dies for sanctification of the name, it, it is a horrible thought to us. So the problem is we're not able to listen through each other's ears and we're not able to display the sensitivity that needs to be displayed. Um, I think too often some people in some religious traditions say, oh, you need to do this because this will be good for you. This is exactly what you need. And then uh, they're not able to hear somebody else saying you know I'm really quite happy with the way I am uh, and I I don't want you to to push me into something that would make me
0: uncomfortable Mm -hmm. If you had to guide somebody like myself who is guilty of not having read the New Testament and and suggest a starting place where would you, what book or (laughs) what chapter would you say would be a good place to start um, getting a sense of the New Testament
3: Um, The New Testament happily begins with narratives, four stories about Jesus, they're called Gospels, rather than with heavy-duty theology, which would be Paul. Um, so the easiest thing to do in reading the New Testament is just to start at the beginning. Um, <laughs> the beginning of the New Testament is a genealogy. It mentions Abraham, it mentions David, and then it runs from Abraham down to Jesus. Um, and if one reads that text along with critical commentary, sensitive to Jewish issues, and um, informative in terms of how... A, a, In terms of understanding how Jews at the time would have understood those figures, those events, um, uh, then the Jewish reader can can easily ease into understanding the New Testament. What the Jewish Annotated New Testament also does, along with providing notes on all the books of the Christian Bible or the Christian New Testament, is to provide thirty or so back essays saying things like. Who were the Pharisees? Uh, What was the synagogue, and how did it develop? How did Jews understand following halakha? How did Jews understand following um, the commandments? How did Jews uh, understand Jesus over the centuries? What does the Talmud say? What did the medieval commentators say? What have modern Jews said? So we have the annotations, and we have the background if people want something more in-depth.
0: Celibacy... Um, what else did we talk about in that clip? There was a lot there. Every time, every time she would mention something new about how the Christian tradition and the Jewish tradition have dialogued together, uh, I felt like, you know, I really did kind of get inspired to to want to look back at, um, at that, that time in history and, and to check out the Christian Bible. Um, yeah, I don't know why it's kind of scary to say that on Shtetl on the shortwave, but it's true. I mean, it's it, it's um it's a book of literature and it's a it's a history book of sorts. So, I I think the best way f- I would be curious to look at it with this book, the Jewish annotated New Testament, and there's over 50 leading academics, Jewish academics that write commentary in the book including Susanna Heschel and the Talmudist Daniel Boyarin. So, there's a lot of food uh, for thought in there. I want to thank Matt Stotland of the Yellow Bird Project for coming on to Shtetl. And if you want to win a copy of the indie rock coloring book go to shtetlmontreal.com and you can find out how to do that or just send me an email info at com, and uh, i'm gonna announce the winner next show in two weeks from now thank you so much for tuning in and we're gonna go out with one more song from one of the bands uh at, that contributed a t-shirt to the yellowbird project it's a rapper from toronto his name is chaos he's a great musician, and I thought it kind of went with today's show. So enjoy, and we'll be back in two weeks on Shtetl on the Shortwave. Turn this up. Yeah. Yo. Uh-huh. 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 Yes. Uh-huh.
6: No, no, uh-huh. no beat. Yet. Yeah. No, no, no beat. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah. Bring it. Bring it. Heaven only knows. Uh-huh. Cause I don't understand. Understand now. Won't you tell me please. Tell me. What's the master plan? Master plan. Spent so, so many days. Many days. Sitting, days, sitting on the class, cloud. Only, know. only God knows. So I'll just Now I break out my physical shell and excel past a so-called body. Used to go to the party, but now I'm sitting chill with the pen and a pad, dropping ill philosophical science. Me and my dad we talk about life and how it started, how we departed from life's path. probable right math. The task at hand is making people understand that we're not who we think we are within this land of the yeah. north. The court of schools could be so. Ha ha we'll be getting hot. Wonder when Bobby die, but it's all planned. Get right. your fear, take the hand. We keep on but Cause the lessons need learning. Concerning what fact I sing and I rap, I hold this mic contact. Critics could step back and analyze. Uh. I energize with cosmic rays. The that ignore igno, yeah, my, my signal from the, knows, the sun. Uh, Cause I don't understand. Don't understand. Won't you tell Cause me? Cause I pray please. every day. What's the master plan? The master plan. Spend so many days. Many days, just sitting on a cloud Sitting on Heaven only knows Oh my God, no i will so so, uh, be this, uh, it'll be uh, this like this uh. Melodical, prodigal flow, uh-huh. Nautical blows to brain pieces Ooh. Telekinesis uh-huh. When I reach the pinnacle Cynical, clinical, microphone, autobots Waiting on a lot of spots Trying to rock uh-huh. But yo, know, they can't understand uh-huh. There's only one plan uh-huh. The time is at hand uh-huh. In the year 2011 The people of the sun return To feed the righteous right now I know you want to be on top of the world Giving uh-huh. a dominant pearl to uh-huh. your girl Watching the uh-huh. jacuzzi swirl uh-huh. Seems like material lust We need to, to look up to the hell. This whole imperial trust me It's kinda hard when you rob some jobs Everybody wants a scrutinize, Redefine who you are But every person is a star So let your light shine fall and praise Only knows. knows Cause now. I don't understand Don't understand now Won't you tell me please Tell me please What's the master plan? I wanna know the plan Spend so many days Many days on a